Okay. We got paper, yes we do. Micro notebooks, pencils, glue. We got crayons, every hue. School supplies for your whole crew. Target's got everything you need to ready, set, go back to school.
All right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is Sunday, August 13th. We're already halfway through the month of August. I can't believe how fast these weeks are going by in 2017. But you know what? We have to enjoy each week while we have it, and we got a great one for everybody tonight. Al Belanga from Cyrus, Blaze Bailey, and Roland Grappow from Masterplan in the old days of Halloween. And Masterplan kind of revisited a lot of the old Halloween music on their latest record. We'll talk to them all about that later on. First up will be Al in about 20 minutes or so. We'll get out as much music as we can between now and then. Right there. Probably one of my all-time favorite records. And I know I say that every week about every album I play, but I really love that Agent Steel record, Skeptics Apocalypse from back in 1985. What a solid record. John Cyrus, what an amazing singer. I mean, the guy was off the wall. He probably still is till today, if you can even find them or know what he's doing. Uh, but just an amazing vocalist. And that was such a killer album when it came out. Uh, really, I felt like that band should have went out to much bigger and better things, but they kind of self-imploded, like a lot of bands did at the time. And they did put out some pretty good records after that, but nothing that came close to this record. And that was 144,000 gone. Actually, if you go back, I think a year before the record, maybe two years when their first demo came out, that that version of the song to me was so much better, a lot of, a lot more intense. Just sounded a lot a lot nicer to me, but what a great record that was. All right, we'll keep the music flowing here. We got a couple of new tracks to get out tonight. We'll play some new Hex. We'll play something new off the Venom Inc. record. And maybe if we have time, we'll get to some more new Accept. We've been playing quite a bit of that over the last few weeks anyway. Uh, but we'll try to get something on if we can from that. Uh, Dan Watson from Hex will be on the show. Uh, I think it's September 10th. Don't quote me. I believe we have him. And my best girl, Dora, will be back on with us. Uh, she's getting ready to go out doing her 30th anniversary tour and uh, doing a little pre-press for the new album that should be out in a couple of months. So uh, I'm excited about that. It's been a long time since we had some new Doro. But let's jump right back into the music now. How about some cracking with Easy Sleazy? Thank you. 
All right, Death Row with Beyond the Light. How about we get on some brand new hex right now? We've got to keep the chit-chat to a minimum for a while because we do have a lot of guests on tonight's show, and we kind of want to get through them all, uh, but no problem. So uh, brand new hex coming out real soon. Dan Watson will be on the show uh, sometime in the middle of September, I believe. I have to double-check, but we still got a while to go before that. Uh, Wrath of the Ripper coming out real soon. Check it out, Reaper. Forgive me. Uh, we'll do, let me see, let's pull up one of the songs off that record. We'll just randomly pick something and we'll see how it goes. There you go. This is Scream of Sacrifice off the brand new record.
Chimes. Let's give Al a call right now. Give me a second here while uh, I connect them, and uh, we'll get this interview going here. All right, let me uh, ba ba ba, so I don't give out anybody's phone numbers. Ba ba ba, ba 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 ba. It's like in the King of Queens when uh, Arthur's trying to give uh, Doug a phone number, and he goes, "There's no rhythm to that phone number." Same type of thing, right? Okay, here we go. Al, this is Mike calling for our interview. You're on the air. Hey, how are you, guy? Good. How are you doing today? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, good. How's everything Bye. over in New York? Hey, I can't complain. You know, it's uh, it's the middle of the summer, so we got to enjoy the nice weather. But not like you guys, where you get nice weather year-round, you know? Yeah, yeah. well, we're 100 degrees over here, brother. <laughs> I can imagine. It's hot as hell over there, probably. But that's perfect ground yeah. for heavy metal, isn't it? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I, I know you guys had a show this weekend, right? Yeah, we had a, it was a real good gig with Face Warning. Uh, all the bands actually did really well, but uh, it was just a lot of fun, you know, playing with Face again. Of course, you know, we have a San Antonio connection with them going back uh, 20-some years, you know. So it's uh, it was a lot of fun. Great crowd, great turnout. Uh, of course, you know, a couple of the guys in the band are, are from here, so, you know, there's a lot of friends and family too. Yeah. Wasn't Ray part of the band for a short period of time? Yeah, for a very short period of time, you know, maybe uh, – Maybe eight months or something like that. Uh, it was great having him in the band. He was a uh, he was in the, one of the other bands here here in town. And uh, when we did that, when we did a show with Face Warning in Austin, uh, uh, they you know that's when we kind of heard that there was going to be some changes within their organization with John Arch. And uh, we had a uh, there was supposed to be a secondary a secondary gig. Uh, that was on a Friday night. It was supposed to be a Saturday night gig here in San Antonio. Yeah. But uh, there was a, a competing show over at uh, another venue that had Saxon on the bill and Omen. And so they contacted Face Warning or the promoter that was going to do the gig here with Face and put them on the bill over there. So that show got canceled, but not for them. They got put on that bill just so there wouldn't be a, you know, draw away from, from the, from the events. And, after that, we had a big old party at the place where we rehearsed at with all the guys and Fates and uh, and, o- and Omen. And, and uh, you know, I think that's where, you know, Ray and uh, some of the guys from Fates kind of, kind of started talking. So, you know. Yeah. So, well, yeah. It was good. It was good for good for Ray, and he's been in the band, I think, like 20, 25 years. A long time. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, you guys have been around just as long in one form or another. I mean, there's been a lot of on and offs, I guess, you know, over the years. But, Let's kind of go back to the beginning. The band really kind of got started, I guess, the Sacred Prey back in like 82, 83, and it kind of took off from there, right? Yeah, it was uh, right in 83. Uh, me and the guitar player put, put the band together, and while we were working out on some of the other members, uh, Sacred Prey was actually something else. I don't uh, – it's been so long, my, you know, my memory is not quite as sharp as it used to be when it comes to things yeah. like that, you know, you know, in all the years of, uh, you know, having a good time too. <laughs> but uh, it could have been, it could have been, but uh, yeah, we we ended up with the name Cyrus because you know it was one of our favorite characters in the movie The Warriors, and uh, so that's how that came about. And it was uh, it just kind of took off. It stuck. We you know we didn't care for the C and, and the Cyrus name like Billy Ray Cyrus, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and we just changed it to an S, and everybody liked it, and then we kind of ran from there with it. Yeah. Well, you go back to the early days, like I said, it was around 83. The band had a really good run in the beginning. I mean, a couple of demo tapes came out really, you know, back then, tape trading was, you know, the biggest thing in the world for like the underground scene. Everybody traded tapes. They found out about bands that way. And, you know, that's how I came across you guys around 86 when somebody, you know, traded tapes for me and I got a copy of the, the band's demo. I was like, wow, these guys are great. Cool. But, you know, back then, there was no magazines really promoting this, no internet, no radio show. So you didn't really know what was going on. What was happening with the band itself during those couple of years when you were putting the demo tapes out? Well, you know, we got, uh, we were one of about, uh, I don't want to limit the number, but I'm going to say about maybe seven bands between here and Austin that kind of, that, that were fortunate enough to kind of like, uh, you know, have a really strong regional regional scene, regional following. And I'm talking about between San Antonio and Dallas and Austin, Houston. Other bands were like bands like Watchtower, 
uh, juggernaut, you know, with Bobby Jerzombic, you know, of course with the fakes now, and he's played with Rob Hoffman and, and a host of others. Uh, Hellstar from Houston. Um, and uh, Militia out of Austin also, you know. So there were there there was a real strong metal following. We were lucky enough to become you know to be ready to to you know kind of like uh, were part of that clique. Um, but all the scene back then was really good. So tape trading definitely was a big thing. But, but we were lucky enough to have uh, a few people that uh, had had uh, had taken our 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 demo uh, abroad, and we ended up with a very strong German following. And uh, so we had. Uh, you know, there were lots of magazines, but they were uh, there was a book, Metal Edge. There was uh, yeah, I don't know if you remember Circus Magazine. Yeah, uh, but there were also lots of there were also lots of yeah, also Head Parader. Not, we weren't in anything like that, but but we were in Metal Edge, and I think there was a little blip in, in maybe Circus Magazine. I don't remember, but uh, but there were lots of fans. Um, and you're right, there was no internet back then, so you know, it was a lot of a lot of pedal pushing when it came to tapes and. and uh, nobody, of course, nobody back then could afford to do vinyl on their own. Uh, yeah. But uh, but we all could do tapes, and there was just a lot of tapes. Uh, quick little nugget here: you know, my brother was in Australia, and when he was in the Navy, and, he, and while he was over there at was a port, uh, he ran into a couple of guys that had our demo that were, were from Australia, and I thought that was wow. kind of cool, you know, because you know the, the tape the tape had made its way pretty far. I mean, we've got fan letters from. Uh, from from what was the Eastern Bloc, as far as as far uh, as far as deep as uh, I think we've got one from Moscow and one from another. Jeez, uh, I don't even remember. But uh, mostly a large, large fan base in the, in that German Germany, uh, Austria, that that part of that part of Europe. So uh, that was a uh, really cool, really strong, and, and and it was just a lot of fun. And we had a great time. You know, all the bands back then, we all we all. Promoted. We all did our own shows. You know, there were no bars or clubs for that stuff. Yeah. Uh, not here anyway. So you know, we rented out venues and halls and theaters and hired like guys and sound guys and were promoted for three months. And you know, everybody went to the shows, man. It's great. Yeah, it really was. It was a great time back then, all around. Uh, but I mean, after the demos, I mean, now I know that obviously the Tales of War record that you just put out. I mean, it was re-recorded, but I guess technically that was going to be the band's first uh, uh, album or first release back in the day. Well, we had uh, that would have been, it would have been, and we and we were on. Uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm I'm saying this kind of off, 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 not off the record, but you know, it's not. I'm not 100 percent sure, but you know, well, we had two we had two things back back then. You know, we had gotten signed to, to a label called Arc, and they were out of Germany, and that was A R R G Records out of Germany. I mean, they sent the contract over and everything. We signed it, sent it back, and we were supposed to go over there for a record with an option for a second. You know, but that that process that took a year, and things started to get a little uh, a little fishy. I guess about eight months into it, when we hadn't heard anything in such a long time, and they finally sent let, some some letters back saying that well, if they could find out, you know, we, if we could find out, you know, how much it like get student uh, student type prices on on travel to Germany and all that. So that we thought that was kind of kind of off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and then sure enough, you know, a few months later, you know, we got a we got a, a drop letter, you know, a letter saying that you know they were going to drop us because you know this or that, and they merged with somebody else, and we didn't meet their format style anymore. So that was kind of a that was kind of a you know downer, 
when that happened, but we kind of knew about, I guess, about eight months into that wait period that something was off, you know. So it wasn't a big, big blow because, you know, it just seemed strange, the whole the whole process. Sure. And we were, for a very short period of time, that you know, we thought we might have been on a, it was a good, we thought there was a good chance that maybe Metal Blade was going to was gonna come down. And, but he did come down, Brian Slago, to San Antonio. But, uh, you know, that, that there was a little blip that, you know, he, he might come down, check us out. And see if we were uh, we're going to be good for his uh, for his record for his, for his label, you know, Metal Blade. But uh, that folded over too, as far as I know. And then after that, we kind of just uh, uh, we kind of just called it a day for a little while, you know, until that second, until that record deal. That was before the actual the actual signing of that one record deal. Yeah. But, uh, you know, after that art thing fell through, we just kind of decided to call it a day because then by then, you know, grunge just kind of came in and never wiped out the whole the whole metal scene, you know. So, uh, but man, we had a lot of fun back then. It was just great playing with all the bands and the shows. The shows were large too. You know, we were talking, you know, five, six, seven hundred people at any given time, any given night with bands. You know, it was just a great, great atmosphere. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's how it was back then. So, Al, I mean, when with with Tales of War now, I mean, I mean, a lot of those songs were on the earlier demo tapes, and how much different were they? I mean, like when you re-record it, because you're re-recording out your new lineup. I mean, you and John have actually been with right. the band since the beginning. You guys have been like, you know, the mainstays uh, of Cyrus ever since day one. Uh, how different are the day tunes one. now? Do you feel compared to you know, like the original recordings of them? Well, I mean, there's there, if there's any changes at all, they're very very small. You know, and, and you'd really have to listen to the demos and then listen to the new tracks, you know, to hear what the differences were. But really what it was, the whole the whole point of what we did this for is, like, well, there was a you know, resurgence of some bands here in San Antonio. Militia was one of them, and Karen was another. And so finally, you know, we uh, we got, you know, really we're waiting on, on to find out if our, our original singer, Mike, was, was going to want to be involved. So, you know, he finally said yes, and then that's when we kind of, like, put this thing together, and we said... You know, it wasn't really about doing shows. It was more about just getting. We wanted to. We wanted to re-record the old stuff, but just with today's modern technology, so it just sounds better. You know, and yeah. really, that's what it was. It was. It was to freshen up those those old demos, which were kind of muddy and bassy, and you know, you pretty much got what you paid for. You know, when you when you bought the studio time, and you know, and some of the studios we worked at, you know, they were they were kind of up and coming. You know, so they weren't. You know they were kind of learning their craft as they went along too, you know, so they weren't as expensive as saying, you know, you remember, you know, I don't have to tell you, man, but you know, studio prices back then, you wanted a fifth place, you know, could run into hundreds of dollars an hour. You know? Oh yeah. And then back then, yeah, back then you couldn't afford, you know, to buy two inch tape. So you had to, you had to rent it, you know, and of course that being used over and over and over again by, by God knows how many bands, you know, and that kind of thing. And then that's just the, the process of uh, duplicating demos, you know, cassettes over and over. You lose a little bit of integrity every, every time. But uh, so we just wanted to re-record all that stuff and, and just see how it sounds with today's, today's modern technology. And that's what we did, you know. And uh, so, you know, other than a couple of things, you know, the, the, most of the songs are pretty much intact. But, of course, there's a vocal style change, you know. Uh, you know, our singer Jeff today is a little brighter, a little high, more high-endy than uh, Mike was, but not, uh, you know, he has his own style, you know, he was concerned about, he wanted, you know, he, you know, he's a big, big fan of Ray Alder, you know, but I told him, listen, you're not Ray, and you're not Mike, you're Jeff, and that's what we want to hear from, you know. 
to me, he does a great job on the album. I mean, you know, because I, you know, a lot of songs like, you know, for the old ones, I've heard them both ways. I think he does a phenomenal job. And we're such like a young crowd today. A lot of younger people getting into the bands from our generation, our age. You know, this is all new to them. So, I mean, they don't know the other versions of the song. This is all they're going to know for a lot of people. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's funny that you say that because, uh, you know, we, when, we put, when we put the CD out, um, you know, we got a lot of interest from those same German fans that we had from the demo back in the day, you know, and some of the magazines that we, the online magazine stuff that, is, that have really been very generous in, in, in reviews with, 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 the, with the CD, you know, I guess they all, like yourself, had the cassettes. From, from the from the old days, so you know you know you're gonna have that one purist, that one guy that's yeah. you know he, he's a purist, he's a, he's a purist man, and he yep. wants to hear the demo. You know it's all about it's all about the the, the vintage, <laughs> you know. And uh, and yeah, so I the guy, you know, I think the tunes were cool, but he didn't really care for it, you know, because it didn't sound like you know, I guess it wasn't vintagey enough for him, you know. Yeah. But. That wasn't the whole point. The point was to to, to modernize the old tunes and, and maybe, you know, the fans that, that still like the you know, that still remember the band and wanted to hear those tunes, but something they could put in their, their car or their stereo at home or you know, today it's all about the portable devices, right? Yeah. And and hear those things to their to their buds and their earphones, you know, but but sound better. And then of course, you know, maybe pick up a few younger fans along the way, you know. I completely I get did, that. I think we did okay. I, I agree. Uh, you did pretty good, yeah. I have to say. Well, you know, I mean, going back on a lot of these songs when you started to re-record them, were there any songs or maybe one in particular that you were never crazy about from the early days that you always said, you know, I wish we would have did it this way or did it that way, and now you kind of had the opportunity to correct something that might have been bothering you for the last 25 years? Uh, I would say that the one that we changed uh... – that has the most dramatic change would probably have been mirror mirror the last track on, on on the CD. You know, back then it was called Into the Twilight. Um, but when we picked up Ray, you know, when we got when Ray joined, you know, we wanted to try to like have try to create a, a, a position so he could have his own identity because Mike Vasquez had been a singer for most for most of that time. You know, and Mike was a phenomenal showmanship guy and, and had, a, you know, he had his own fan base and everything, you know. So, yeah. but when Ray joined, you know, Ray had, had a, Ray was not quite the showman uh, that Mike was. And, you know, I say this with all respect to Ray because we just played, we just opened for them and stuff, but he's still not really the showman. You know, Ray's really all about the talent, you know, and, and, and the vocal, the vocal style. And, uh, you know, it's uh, you know, we wanted we wanted to try to create an, uh, a situation that that so his vocal style would, would really prevail versus somebody expecting to see some guy jumping around and you know, and doing the Bruce Dickinson moves or whatever, you know. But uh, so we that song, a few of the couple of songs, we we actually changed the lyrics, you know, and slightly changed the, the uh, arrangement to fit you know, his, to give him something to, so he could, you know, stand out on his own. And Mirror Mirror was one of those. And uh, so that's the only one that really changed. We did, add, you know, change a couple parts, and we did drop the tuning, you know. Uh, but other than that, most of the songs are pretty much the same. Uh, 
the 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 Demon Racer instrumental on that tr- on the on the record. Yeah. Pretty much the same, but it used to be called VD101 on a demo, one of the other demos. And uh, that's when we had Pete Perez, who's played with Riot and Lil' Wolf. And, of course, Mike was our singer at the time. But that was just an instrumental. It doesn't really matter. But uh, that one changed just a little bit, you know. But most of them are pretty much the same, you know. But then if you compare the demo to the, to the CD, they might sound – I think somebody might – it sounds wildly different just only because you know the production yeah yeah well the production does make a big difference i mean like you said the technology we had back then to what we have now the money you were able to spend you could do it so much cheaper today and it does show on, on a lot of new records not just yours but with a lot of bands that are, are doing that but how do you oh, feel sure. like with, with like with new music now where does the band stand are you looking to put out a record somewhere down the road like all brand new original music or are you kind of just going to work yeah, on actually, the live no, no, no. Actually, yeah, we're gonna. Well, we pretty much uh, done our last show for the year uh, with Face Warning. Uh, it, it was it turned it worked out perfect because you know it was a the had San Antonio connection and you know and, and you know it was a great gig and all that. Uh, so I told the guys, you know, listen, starting September, man, we need to start working on something. We're gonna start working on the next record. You know, so the next record will feature probably eight new songs but there are two or three of, of still some of the old tracks that we just, we ran out of time with, with the first CD because we had a, we had a gig with Udo Dirkschneider in, in, a, in early February of this year. And, you know, listen, we're all in our fifties, bro. Man. So, you know, between, so between, between careers and, and family and kids and, you know, and, and some of us have been still been involved in the music scene, and stuff. And there's you know, a couple of guys, you know, that lived in other cities, and you know, so it's uh, between all that, it took it took a, it took a year to do to get that 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 CD done, the Tales of War CD done. But we we wanted to have 11 songs on there, but we're getting too close to the Udo show to where we wanted to have something for the show, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, by the time December rolled around, I said, you know, we're not going to be able to, we're going to have to, we're going to have to stop it at nine tracks. We're not going to be able to put 10, 11 tracks on there because I need a couple of months for, for, for final production and, and, and post, post-production, I should say, and, and mastering. And, you know, and then of course work on all the graphics, you know, and I want to have this damn thing out by the time I want to have something on the merch table for the Ludo show. Sure. Know? And so we got it out, and we had a we had a kind of a rough draft CD available at the show, and you know of course we gave a lot of you know we gave a lot of free stuff away, man, because we just wanted to get the music out there, and uh, yeah, and then it wasn't really until about uh, maybe the end of February that we actually had the official, you know, regular silver press CD with the digital case and all that other stuff out. You know? Yeah. So that's the one that's available on the website and CD Baby and all that other stuff. You know? Well, I mean, but yeah, definitely a new, a new production in the works. That's great. With the new music, I mean, are you going to kind of continue where the band left off all those years ago? Uh, I mean, 25 years, a lot's going to change. Is musically you in a little bit different direction or sound-wise sort of the same or maybe a mix of both? You know, that's a good point because, you know, as, you know, that those 80s, man, we were all in our early 20s, you know, and uh, and you're right. You know, as as as, as the, the decades roll by, man, you know, you pick up different styles. And plus, not only us, but you know, like you said just a few seconds ago, man. But the the music genre style, even though it's still heavier heavy metal, even that's changed. Yeah. You know, so 
Yeah, there'll be, uh, you know, I, I play and keep busy, you know, beyond what I do for a living. You know, I played in cover bands for many, many, many years. And I'm a sound engineer, too, so I've run sound for bands and bands for many years. You know, and uh, so as that, playing in those cover bands, you know, you, you develop, you know, between playing country music and dance music, hard rock and metal, and, you know, you got to play that for the one guy sitting in the back of the bar screaming Metallica all night long, you got to play that song, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, know but, you know, but, uh, but, you know, it's developed, uh, helps develop your style and it really focuses on technique and, you know, but you, but you pick up a different, different tonalities along the way. So I would say that I already have probably six tunes for the new record ready to ready to, for the other guys to learn so we can start recording them. Uh, it is, uh, it's going to be Cyrus stuff. Some, you know, Maybe not. Uh, I've got a couple of tracks that are that are that are a little speedy. I'm not gonna call thrashy because we're not a thrashy band, but but we are a little speedy, you know. Um, and then uh, you know just you know some good more power metal stuff. Uh, there's about three tracks from the old days that still need to give it on the record, which is the uh, one of them is uh, um, uh, we have uh, uh, marching on, which is another long track, and. Uh, Breakout, Breakout's another one, and both of those tracks that we actually had, you know, we're gonna go off the Ray alt, the Ray version, the Ray we had Ray on a on a demo with that. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna utilize the that particular version uh, for 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 Jeff, uh, just as a guy, you know. And then you know we've got a couple speedy tunes and uh, but just some good thumping power stuff, you know. Um, you know, I've always been about the twin guitar harmony thing. You know, Maiden's one of my biggest influences ever, ever. You know, and so I, lo- I just love the interplay between guitar work, and we'll continue to do that. I'm hoping to have this done sometime by February, and and have it out just like we did last year, and ha- you know, have something ready to go just in case there's uh, some opportunities coming up. You know, sure. we'll have a brand new record because let's face it, man. You know, if you're going to be, you know, I feel like you know, okay, bands can put out one record. But if you really want to be taken seriously by everyone else, then you got to have at least two records. And uh, then after that, we'll see, man, because you know we'll all be in our mid fifties, and you know I, I can't count count on everybody's health and everything. Well, everything can happen, man. <laughs> that, that's true. At this point in time, you take it day by day and enjoy it. Uh, you know, but uh, but uh, you talk about uh, two records. I, I remember about eight or nine years ago, there was a compilation album put out of your material. Were you guys involved with that in any way, or did it kind of just happen? Is that, is that that white record? The white record? I, I uh, think it was. It was all white. Uh, Steel Legacy was the label that put it out. Uh, it just yeah, had the, Steel the picture Legacy. on there. Would you guys? Well, you know, the band wasn't. Yeah, the band wasn't 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 together, and we were all doing our separate things. And, you know, and a lot of other than a couple of guys, you know, most of us hadn't talked to each other in a few years. You know, so Steel Legacy got called, uh, contacted me, and said they would like to put out uh, a vinyl version of these demo things. And since we weren't really doing anything, I said, well, sure, go ahead, man, because, you know, the stuff was just uh, collecting dust in a shoebox up in the attic, I mean, up in the closet. So, you know, so we we gave him, we shipped him. I had to get a hold of the guitar player, Johnny, because I hadn't talked to him in probably 15 years before that. And, uh we got together and we pulled everything we had and we set it all off to the to Greece and the Steel Legacy guys. They put out that record and I think they made fifteen hundred copies, something like that. Uh, I think it did well. You know, it was like just a one pressing type thing. You know, and uh, you know, 
can still find that record available, uh, I think, on, like, Amazon or something. Of course, you know, we all got copies, you know. Yeah. But uh, that was the last the last thing I remember anybody doing anything with the music. And, you know, we really didn't have any input with that. I w- we just sent them the stuff and told them, have at it. It was, a, it was a nice way of getting back into the scene and the music because people that didn't hear it at least had something, you know, that weren't around in the, the day trading days. So it kind of, did that bring a little bit more attention to the band? Because it was maybe seven or eight years later that I heard about you guys actually reuniting, you know, so did that kind of like, yeah, start it on? Uh, no, what actually, actually spurred it on was uh, when, we, when a couple of the bands from around here, between here and Austin, had got back together and were starting to do some, some, some gigs. And, you know, and all of these guys are, you know, we all were around back in the 80s, you know, the militia and the carry-on. And, uh, and of course, you know, we saw, uh, you know, Jason McMaster's never been out of the scene. He's, he's had several, several bands of his own over, over, over the last two decades. But uh, when, when they were doing, you know, get, they were generating this interest, then we started getting the people that, because we're all part of the same fan base, you know, we'd go to the shows to check it out and, you know, people were coming up to me or coming up to my old singer or coming up to Johnny say, hey, man, when are you guys going to do this? When are you guys going to do this? And this all happened about three years ago. So, you know, I guess after hearing it enough, it would have never happened had uh, the original singer Mike not agreed to do it. But uh, when he agreed to do it, that's when we kind of really knuckled down and put it started working on it and putting it together, you know. I know Mike didn't end up on the record because, you know, there was some about halfway – into that three-year period, you know, he had some issues and had to step away from the whole thing. And uh, and so did the drummer. Our, it, we were using Jay, our origi- our second drummer from, from back in the day. But, you know, there were some issues with him too. And, you know, luckily uh, Tony Ramos, who was the third drummer after Jay, was available. Moved back to San Antonio a couple of years ago from Seattle. And, uh, you know, that's uh, – Everything just kind of fell into place after that, and we got that record started doing the recordings and getting them completed. So the people ask me, you know, how, you know, how come what happened to Mike? I says, well, you know, some some, some personal issues and some things, and yeah. some, some also some medical, some uh, physical medical things that he had to take care of. You know. That's but it worked out well with Jeff, you know. It did. So, you you couldn't have found somebody better. I don't think he's a perfect fit for the band, and I can't wait to hear you know the new music coming out. Uh, but I, I'm not going to keep you. I do appreciate you talking with us today. I want to get on a couple of songs off the record before our next guest calls in. Sure. I can't thank you enough, man. Nice job on this album. I'm looking forward to the new material. Hey, thanks a lot, buddy. Hey, listen, uh, what I'll do is uh, if, if it's okay with you, man, I can send you all maybe a couple of T-shirts, a couple of some CDs if you can give them away or, 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 or do what you uh, might be best. Absolutely. I know all listeners would love to have some of that. We'll definitely do a little uh, raffle over there, and we'll give them out to people. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Anytime, I'll take care. Have a great day. You too. Take care, buddy. You too, sir. Thanks. All right, let's get on some Cyrus. This is the, even though the song is older, this is the new recording with Jeff on vocals. We played off the demo earlier. Here's uh, Through Night's Eyes.
Ah, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened there. Kind of got cut off at the very last minute, but what are you going to do? That's life, right? <laughs> we'll play it again later on. I want to thank Al for being on the show. We got Blaze Bailey up next. And after that, Roland Grappow for Master Plan. So don't go anywhere. It's not like we have a commercial break and you're going to have to wait to come back, but uh, <laughs> I was just saying stick around. All right, let me see here. I, I don't know if you've been paying attention. There's this whole like Frankie Benali feud now with the Lee Kerslake and the Bob Daisley where. Frankie says that he kind of came up with the intro for Over the Mountain when he was jamming with Randy Rhodes, I guess, back in the 70s before he joined Osley and Bob Daisley. And Lee Kerslake says, nah, no way, never happened. You know, we kind of put it together. And Frankie came out with this thing like, uh, well, you know, none of us are really making money off it anyway, no matter who wrote it. So what's the difference? And it is a difference because that's a very classic drum line. And I truly believe that Lee Kerslake came up with that. You know, I don't think Frankie had anything to do with it. But people's perception of what's real and what really happened are two different things. So who knows? But if I was Frankie Benalli, I'd worry more about the crap music that Quiet Riot's been putting out lately. I mean, it don't even sound Quiet Riot. I mean, the new Roll Rage record, to me, I, I shouldn't even say nothing bad about it. Because I, I know, like, on, on SiriusXM, they have the hair metal channel. And the guy who hosts the show, every time he talks about Quiet Riot before he gets to play an old song that I'm really planting off the new record. He was like, you know, they have a new record out, and you know, I was always told they have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. So for him to kind of go that route on SiriusXM, even they're not crazy about it. And if you go to like the Quite White website, all the internet stations or internet webzines that probably Frankie, none of the guys in the band really ever talk to or deal with because they think they can only do like major press, or the only ones that praise it yet they use their quotes on the website. You don't see any major rock magazines or metal magazines or radio shows. Uh, you know, uh, giving this album the thumbs up. You know, if somebody put it out and said, you know, what do you think of this album? And you were a fan of like modern rock, you would probably like it. But if you say, you know, this is quite right, it doesn't sound like quite right. It has nothing even remotely close to the quite right sound to it. That's because the people that wrote that quite right music are no longer part of the band. I'm not saying anything bad about Alex, but I don't think he wrote any of the music on this record. I think Frankie wrote these, this album with somebody else, and you know, it is what it is. But as a Quiet Riot fan and a big Quiet Riot fan, going back to the Randy Rose days when I, I still have those two original first Quiet Riot records I bought in the record store back then, uh, I just can't get into this album in any way, shape, or form. That's just my opinion. All right, let's do a little Black Death, and then we'll do one or two, one or two more tunes after that, and we will talk to Blaze Bailey right then and there. Here you go, When Tears Turn Red. Mm-hmm.
right, there you go. So Mo Manella Road for everybody. Out of control with rock and roll. The band will be here in Brooklyn again at the St. Vitus Bar on October 25th. I will be in Florida that week celebrating my 50th birthday, so I won't be around for that. But uh, if you can get there, uh, a lot going on with that club and shows over there for some of the promoters. So we'll talk about that a little later on. But right now, let's get on some music from Blaze. We'll have an interview with him right afterwards. Uh, He's got a brand new record out called Endure and Survive, The Infinite Entanglement Part 2. The Infinite Entanglement record came out about a year ago, and this is like the second of a three-part album series he's doing around the science fiction theme. We'll go back to the first one, Infinite Entanglement, right now, play a tune off of that, get the interview going, and we'll play something off the new album right afterwards. Here's A Thousand Years.
Does he know the truth? No one can cope with the truth. This is the only way. Blaze, this is Mike trying to call you back. How are you? All right, mate. How are you? I'm doing great. I, this technology kills me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I've made a, so I had to change something on my computer to do an interview uh, last year, and it's never been the same. Yeah. I remember... And then they've, changed the Skype. they've updated the Skype to, what? Well, I don't know. Um, I feel like I'm wearing 3D glasses when I'm using <laughs> Skype. <laughs> I know, it's rough. I remember the old days with paper cups and a string between them. Yeah, I think that was better, to be honest. <laughs> I agree. Hey, hey, look, it's great talking to you today. You're such a fan for so many years, going back to the early days of Wolfsbane. I'm glad that you're still at it. But not only that, you're getting better and stronger and harder as you get older. That's pretty good. My pleasure. Listen, the new record, I mean, the second in, like, I guess a three-part series of records. It's almost like the movies these days. We're waiting for the conclusion to come in a couple of years. But Endurance Survive, I mean, more than just the second record in the series, but it sort of says a lot about your whole career. I think it's, uh, there are some personal elements in there. In the story, it's part two of the story, which I realized early on, that we were, when we were doing um, Infinite Entanglement, I thought that was one album. But as I started to look at the songs, it was obvious that one of the songs belonged on part three. And that's when I thought, well, actually, it's three parts, isn't it? It's a beginning, a journey, and a conclusion. And it's about someone who does not know if they are human, and they have to decide. So I, I think, yeah, it, it's, it's a journey. And this one is to endure a thousand years and to survive the attempted obliteration and annihilation that they are trying to do to you. So that's where the endurance of life comes from and it's part of the story. And of course, it's quite dark because anytime you've got people trying to destroy you, it's going to be a dark time in your life. Yeah, and that, could, that, that says a lot for everything in this kind of world today. I mean, from the music business to just your personal life, there's a lot going on there. But when you started this out, like you just said, with the Infinite Entanglement, you know, you thought it was going to be just one album. Now when you try to turn it into a three-part series, is there a lot of planning and writing going on where you want to make this a full story? Or just kind of feel like maybe you box yourself in with the first album on certain subjects? Well, I knew on that first one, once I knew that it was three albums, then I mapped out the story. And I have that map on the wall. And it is all of the characters, how they are linked, all of the events. And I just go back to that map just to remind myself where I am. But it's which part of the story is going to turn into the song. I already know the ending. I know where we have to get. And it's how do we get to that ending and which songs, which episodes of this story turn into songs to get us there. So I think I'm lucky, really, that I realized that it would be three parts. And the endurance of life, this center part of it, this journey of discovery and survival, 
and many fans have said they like it even more than the Infinite Entanglement Part 1. And when I set out to do it, I said to my manager, and it's absolutely fantastic, really, because if you can, can he will allow himself to be convinced that artistically it's justified. I said, I want this to be 1st of March, 1st of March, 1st of March. Each album has to come out on or around the 1st of March each year. I don't want to be in a situation where I'm going, oh, maybe it's not ready, maybe it's not the best. We have to go in there and make it the best and know when we're going to finish it. And it has to be finished. And we set ourselves that task. And though it is, you know, it gets pretty um, hairy sometimes when I say, you know, maybe we could do with a couple of extra days for this or a couple of extra days for that. He goes, the manager says, well, no, there is no extra time. Yeah. And I said, well, why? He said, because this is what you told me to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's it. But even so, with all of the nerves and things, we still beat our deadline by two days for endurance survive. Um, so, you know, it, it's, the pressure is on to make a third album that has the depth and interest of Entanglement and Endurance Survive. But I have no reason to believe that it won't happen. I just don't know how it will happen. <laughs> well, that's part of the journey, right? <laughs> Absolutely, man. I, it's, I, I, to, to coin a phrase from one of your greatest presidents, I have nothing to fear but fear itself. <laughs> That's right. You know, Blaze, anytime you do any kind of concept record, it's it's a tricky thing because you want it to be consistent and tell a story from song to song, but yet you want the songs to kind of stand out on their own so they don't have to be played back to back. You yeah, kind of accomplished so that. Right. But you accomplished you're so that. right, Mike. What, what we did, I was fully aware of this, so what we wanted to do, the thing we set ourselves was, right, if you don't know the story, if you don't know anything about it, you have to be able to enjoy this just as any regular album that's not a concept. But if you want to find out more, then it's there and you'll get drawn into it. But in the first instance, if you know nothing about it, you still have to be able to enjoy it as a collection of songs. And that's what we set ourselves at the start and we've stuck to it we're very very lucky I think we've been able to achieve that so if you don't know anything about the story and you get Endurance Survive before you get Infinite Entanglement you should be able to enjoy Endurance Survive album and this collection of heavy dark songs as much even without knowing the story and the second thing that I always try to do is Right, this has to have an emotional context. So if English isn't your first language, then when you hear this melody line and this vocal, you've got to know something about what this guy is feeling when you hear that melody and that music. And we, we try to stick to that as well. And I hope we've been able to achieve that. Uh, you absolutely did. You could pick out any song in any of those two records. They could stand on their own, and if you're listening to them side by side, 
they tell a great story. You did accomplish that, and that's not an easy thing to do, like I was saying with a concept record. I think about your whole career, I mean, spanning 30 years now, I mean, you go from an up-and-coming band like Wolf's Bane to Iron Maiden to going solo, it's definitely a roller coaster ride, this business, huh? I've been very lucky, Mike. Very, very lucky. I've had support from incredibly loyal fans over the years. I've had my ups and downs. I've had to start over three times from nothing after Iron Maiden. And it's been quite a journey. But in the end, I'm very, very lucky. And I had a lot of help from a lot of great people. And of course, I had incredible support from such loyal fans from all over the world. It's been great. When I had nothing going for me, I would still get emails and letters saying, please continue. And I can't wait to hear your next record. So I've been really, really lucky. And now, 30 years on, I'm in this incredible place where I am completely independent. I am the record label. I am the producer of the album and I decide the release date, I decide the schedule, I decide the deadlines. I'm able to do it on my own terms and to be independent and outside of the main music business machine is an incredible thing that I really didn't think I'd be able to do at some point. But to have that, just I'm only small, I'm an underground artist. I'm a small underground artist, a cult figure to many people, but I'm doing it on my own terms. So to be independent and to be able to do things on my own terms is an incredible feeling. And I feel so lucky to be able to do that. And the reason I'm able to do it is because I've had incredible support from incredible fans over the years. That that's great. I'm happy to hear that. That is, I mean, you're being solo, being on your own, being that you, like you said, you are the main person. Everything falls on you. Is really is that the best way to go today? Because it seems like being in a band could turn into a lot of drama. Whether it's Iron Maiden, Will's Bane, or the kids in the garage playing. I mean, is being on your own the best thing because you you do direct your future and your fate? I, I don't know if it is. I, I really think it's the right thing for me right now where I am. I've a very strong idea of where I want my music to go and I don't necessarily want to compromise the way that you you do and it's a healthy thing when you're in a band situation then you you have different contributions from from people and people have different ideas about the way it should go but I think you know in most truly great bands there is a leader there is someone who that band is there they have a guiding vision for that band whether that's Dave Grohl with his vision of what the Foo Fighters should be where you know or whether it's Steve Harris with Iron Maiden so I think it's just a little bit beyond that I have a vision of where I want my music to go I can hear it I know the kind of venues I want to be in venues that I can be intimate with my fans that I can touch them at each place by the show if I'm not sick there is a free meet and greet and I meet all my fans after the show photos 
free as a thank you to everybody for the support they've given me over the years. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that the fans support you and love you as much as they do, or we do, I should say, because I am one myself, is because you're right out there with them. You don't walk around with your head held high. You're out there shaking hands, taking pictures, and people love that, especially today, because you're so much more accessible than you were as an artist would be back in the 80s, you know? I think uh, one of the disappointing things of being in Iron Maiden, which I did not realize this at the time, is it's so difficult to meet your fans. By the time I joined Iron Maiden, they were so big, it was impossible to do signings because it was thousands of people, not just a, a few hundred. So it, it was, you know, it's one of the things I think I really missed about that, that I'm glad that I can do in my solo career on my own, that I can meet my fans. And uh, it's, it's good, you know, it, it's a different way to be because I consider myself a fan of different artists. So I know what it's like for me and I'll never forget that first time I, re I met Ronnie James Dio and I was a, just an ordinary, an ordinary fan, no different to anybody else. And how courteous and kind he was to me. And also Joey from Man of War, all the guys from Man of War, Joey and Eric, when, when I met them so long ago in Birmingham, when they'd done their first gig in Birmingham in England, then how wonderful they were and the time that they had for fans. And I think those two things more than anything really set me on a path of, well, that's the kind of artist I want to be. And you've become that, and I'm glad for you. I mean, how do you judge your success today? I mean, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was strictly based on how many albums you sold. Today, that's not the case because of, you know, the downloading and, and the way the market is. But you, how does an artist judge success? For me, Mike, it was never that way anyway. I never judged success by the amount of albums or copies of recordings that were sold under my name or that I'd written. For me, success was just living life on my own terms. And to live life and to be, as a job, to have a job where I'm a professional singer, which is the job I dreamed of doing, to live my dream, that's success. However many copies you sell or don't sell, that's, for me, that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter if you're just performing on a weekend. You are a success if you're living the life that you want to live, the life that you dreamed of. If your dream is to be a great parent and you're living that dream of, of being a great parent, trying to be the best parent that you can to your children, that is success. And for me, that's how I always measured it. And perhaps that was something that it didn't get me, I, I didn't get as far as I could have got if I'd have taken care of those numbers and thought, oh, I'm not selling many copies in Finland compared to Sweden or, you know, why am I doing better in Spain or something like this. So for me, it's always been about living on my own terms, writing the music that I want to write. And I've been very, very lucky in Wolf Spain and in Iron Maiden and in my solo career that I haven't really had to compromise at all my musical values. I've been able to write the music that I feel and I'm very lucky to be able to do that. Um, 
man. That's so fantastic to hear that. I mean, was ever like just like a low point in your career where you just says, I can't go on anymore, I can't start up again, and you actually really thought about just packing it in? Did that ever happen to you? Yeah, I, I had that many times, Mike. You know, it's been a long career, and after Maiden, then I spent, you know, all my money making my Silicon Messiah and Tenth Dimension albums and trying to keep a band together. And I just made a complete balls up of it. And, uh, you know, I totally failed. And I failed again after that, trying to get another band together. And I failed again. So it's been a lot of failure along the way. And I remember just thinking, oh, I, I really do. Isn't this now time to stop when I've suffered personal tragedies? And I, I thought, really, should I just forget? Should I just leave Blaze Bailey up there on the stage? and just be a regular guy. And um, I've been very, very lucky that I've had great people around me. I've had the support of so many fans who said, please keep going. And uh, they've managed to, to keep me going. And then you write the next song and then you do a gig and things, maybe they're not that bad. And here I am now, you know, working with great guys, a very small, very dedicated team of people. And we do things on our own terms. And uh, I'm very lucky to be able to do that. But many times I've failed. You know, that's, that's a part of it. Yeah. You know, I just failed miserably several times. Three times I had to start over with nothing, from nothing, with just my name. I even had to change my name once because I started off with the name Blaze on my first solo project. No one recognised that that was the ex-lead singer of Wolf Spain or Iron Maiden. They thought I was a hockey player so, or a rap artist. So then I had to change the name again. And it's, it's been, you know, a, a series. I've moved from disaster to disaster. And, and here I am now, writing perhaps the best music I've ever written. And uh, it's just an incredible feeling. And I, I have to say that I'm very, very lucky and uh, to have the support of so many fans around the world that you know wait to see me they pre-order my album without knowing what it's going to be like if it's good or bad or if it'll be you know it could be a dog barking instead of a heavy metal record <laughs> and they pre-order that album they trust me and they support me and i'm very very lucky you know that they enable me to to make the music that i want to make that's in my heart and uh, i'm very lucky uh, definitely. We're lucky that you're still doing it. Hey, Blaze, over the years, was there ever like an idea that was presented to you or that maybe that you came up with that sounded really great when you thought of it? And then as you started doing it or got involved in it, you're like, what the hell did I get myself into? Yeah, uh, I mean, there's many songs like that. I think your radar gets better as you get more experience in songwriting. You know which ideas you just, you know a lot sooner. No, this is going nowhere. Throw it away. And I remember once in Wolf Spain, we did, uh, we said, well, let's do a demo. Let's do 20 songs. Well, really, you should just be writing, let's do some great songs. Not how many, because a couple of those songs, man, we demoed them and I listened back and I was like, oh, no, I just want to bury this. I wish it had never been done. We were some awful, awful things. But I think it's a learning thing, you know, without these mini disasters, then I don't think you learn to avoid them in the future. And I think it's very easy to get wrapped up in something and be 
enthusiastic about it and sometimes because you put a lot of work into a song you feel well it should be on the record because it took so many hours or days well it should only be on the record if it's great if it's really good if you spent a month trying to get this song into shape maybe that's telling you something it's never going to be in shape true do you think they're the worst songs are the ones that you have to spend the most time on? Because sometimes you can just sit down and bang out a song in five minutes and it's a classic. And sometimes you got these great ideas of risk, but they just never come together. I, I think it's, you know, sometimes it's inspiration and sometimes it's technique. And you never know what you're going to get. And sometimes something will make you chase around and around and you'll try it in different places. Should it be an acoustic song? Should it be a heavy song? Should it be fast? Should it be slow? And you'll chase around and around and somewhere magically it will reveal itself. Ah, that's what it is. And that's the story really on the Endurance Survive album. At the end of the album, then that's the story of the final on the album it had us chasing around and around trying to see where it should be what what it, it should be and then it was well this song is together we should move this we can move the song and it's two people and it's a song of regret and it's big but it ends soft but dark and that's what it was but it took You just used the word regret, and over the last couple of years, you've gone out on tour with Paul Diano, with Jeff Tate and Ripper, and I said when I heard about those tours, I said, this is going to go two ways. It's going to be some of the most incredible stage show music you ever hear, or it's going to be a lot of infighting and a lot of problems. Do those go nice and smooth for you? Yeah, I mean, Paul Diano is such a funny guy. He's got a great sense of humor, and he's a real pleasure to work with him. He's stories that he tells of the things that's happened to him over his career absolutely hilarious and incredible you know and with Tim Ripper Owens he's one of my favorite vocalists of all time I've just learned to appreciate him more and more when I've worked with him and I've been up close and personal and heard what he does through the monitors and the way that he performs is absolutely fantastic and then to be a fan of Jeff and his Operation Mindcrime and his Queen's Right work, and then to be on stage with him and with Tim Ripper Owens, it was absolutely fantastic. And the on-stage banter and the fun we had on the bus and the gigs, just, it was absolutely fantastic. I'm very lucky. I've been in some situations where I really wanted to go home and have to do it for the money years ago, but luckily those situations weren't like that. They were a lot of fun. Yeah. Hey, Blaze, I'm not going to keep you much longer, man. I'm so happy for you. I love that the place you're in right now, and the music is just getting better and better with every album. So I can only imagine what's going to happen 10 years from now. But you're coming back to the U.S. real soon. I'm thrilled about that. Yes, I'm, I'm coming back. I can't wait to get there. Um, we start a tour there in, um, in August, of course. Uh, we start, I think, in Sellersville, Pennsylvania, on the 9th of August, 
come every year with each new album we hope from now on to be able to come to USA on tour. That's fantastic. I know you're going to be playing in Brooklyn at the St. Vitus, and I can't wait to see you there, Blazer. It'd be great to meet up with you. Yeah, and don't forget, there's a free meet and greet after every show on the tour, unless I'm sick or I have to catch a plane somewhere. There's a free meet and greet, and I'll sign my Wolfsbane and my Maiden stuff. That's a beautiful thing. I'll see you when you get to the U.S., Blaze. Have a great day. Okay, then, Mike. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. You too. Take care, buddy.
All right, I figured we'd do a little Iron Maiden era blaze. Like I was saying in the chat, I wasn't crazy about those records when they came out. I mean, metal was kind of on the outs at that time anyway. Not that I was ever not a metalhead, but I just didn't really pay much attention to them. Bruce was out of the band. I was like, yeah, you know, I can really care less, you know, what's going on with them. But looking at those records now, they were pretty good albums. And, you know, the last Blaze record, another solid album. He was a real nice guy to talk to. Uh, As I was saying before, the promoter was very upset that there was a very low turnout in Brooklyn for that show. And, uh, you know, the problem is, is, you know, I, I don't go to as many shows as I should anymore because I work the night shift and it's hard for me to get to them. And the whole thing is that most of these shows are coming through town on a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, a Thursday night. You know, and they, they feature artists that come from our generation back in the 80s. And most of us are in our 50s now. Some guys even older than that. And when you have to get up and come from Long Island, Staten Island, New Jersey, to commute to Manhattan every day, uh, taking a two-hour ride, sometimes a bus, a train, a ferry, and other ways to get there, then have to work eight hours, come home on another two-hour ride, just to get back in your car to drive to, like, the never ends of Brooklyn. I mean, Greenpoint is, like, way out of the way for Brooklyn. You got to deal with traffic on the BQE, the Bell Parkway, and other way, Long Island Expressway to get there. It's a pain in the ass, and the shows start early because it's in a residential neighborhood. So usually by midnight, the play—I mean, at least the bands have to be off the stage and done by midnight. Uh, so it's a lot of work, traveling. A lot of—it's not that easy to get around. So you got very low turnouts because of the time. I mean, if your shows were on a Saturday night, you'd have a lot more people showing up. I've seen other shows on a Saturday night where there were lesser-known bands playing; they had a better turnout. Let's face it; most of us are at the age right now where we just don't have the stamina or the energy. To work an eight-hour day, spend four hours traveling to get back in the car to go back to Brooklyn to a tight. I mean, the St. Vitus Club is a really cool joint, but it's very small. There's nowhere to sit down. You know, it's a tiny little. It's like being in somebody's living room. <laughs> you know, the 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 club area, and you're standing up there for like two hours, and then there's nowhere else to go in that area, even to get anything to eat or drink, because it's all residential over there. So that's one of the problems in the other clubs, and most of the rock clubs in Brooklyn, all over in like that area, that general area, Waynesburg, Greenpoint. Not a convenient location to travel from. Even if you live on the other side of Brooklyn, it's a pain in the ass to get there by public transportation. So this is one of the reasons that not a lot of people are showing up. When you have these younger bands playing, like you have a younger crowd during the week, you know, those guys go because most of them don't have jobs. They just show up and they don't care. But, you know, it's not an issue of the price because let's face it, most of these shows are $10 to get into $15. It's very minimal. And you're getting two to three classic bands on, on the bill, you know, especially when it's like an 80s show based on 80s artists. It's that it's inconvenient for people. Even on a Friday night, it's inconvenient. It's more people are humping on a Friday night because I know they're off the next day and they can kind of sleep it off. But, you know, Monday to Thursday, that's a tough sell these days for people in our age group. I'm sorry. And I know that's the, all they can do today. You know, the clubs got, have to open seven days a week to make money. Artists are on tour. They can't, like, just play weekends like they did back in the 80s. They have to go out, like, every night or every other night and play when they're out on the road over a couple-of-week period. Unfortunately, that's why there's a very low turnout, at least in my opinion. It's the same thing like we were talking about a little while ago about the, about the festivals. You know, to me, the festivals, especially European festivals, they helped revitalize the whole scene. You know, they were reuniting bands that had broken up years ago, bringing them back to play. And it was a great thing. And it, it started bringing the scene back again. But now today, every festival has the same bands playing. There are eight or nine, like, you know, major underground metal festivals, whether they're here or in Europe. Every single band plays at the same festival. It's Omen, Thrust, uh, you know, uh, Night Demon. It's the same exact bands at every festival every year. So not even those are starting to get played out now, in my opinion. What's the point of going to one of these shows if you're going to see the same band? Sarah's Uncle played every festival this year. 
you know, so what's the point of going to one that you want to make it feel like it's special by seeing these bands that you can't see anywhere else when all of those bands are playing at every single show? And year after year now, it's the same bands. There's like three or four bands that play every single festival every year with a couple of other bands added in. So that's one of the reasons that these festivals are even going to start falling by the wayside. So because people aren't going to start traveling and spending the money to see the same bands over and over again. And now the reuniting bands, and they don't even care about trying to get the whole band together or the core of the classical one. They're happy getting one member. I mean, we had Alan Tecchio on the show a while back. You hear Alan saying, you know, uh, I, I don't know if it was Keep It True or one of the other festivals. They try to get Hades back together to play there. They managed to get the most of the classical lineup back together. And whatever happened, there was a falling out between the band. Alan was out, and they uh, they were saying, you know, I, I don't know if Alan was out or a guitar player. Was out. I don't remember who it was. But Alan was saying, they said, you know, just you come over to play. And he felt like, you know, I'm not the whole band. You know, we were a band. It's just what wasn't one member. And he didn't do it. And the pro was like, no, no, you're all we want anyway. It doesn't matter. And that's the problem with festivals, too. They'll get a band back together with one original member. And, you know, you're not talking like, you know, you get, you know, reuniting a band, a classic band that broke up and there's like one key member. These are underground bands. Nobody was really any more famous than another member, but they're just happy getting one person back together and having them play songs. And to me, if you don't get the singer back from one of those classic underground bands, it's not even worth it to me. But once again, that's just my opinion. All right, let me see. I thought I uh, had uploaded something off the brand new Venom Inc. record, uh, but for some reason, uh, I can't seem to find this. So maybe I didn't. Uh, let me just take a quick look one more time. It would help if I knew my alphabet a little bit better. <laughs> so I'm jumping around from letter to letter on here and trying to find it. But uh, maybe I didn't do it. Uh, let me see here. Give me one second. Uh, no, I guess I didn't. I, I thought I put a new song by a Venom Inc. album, but I guess I didn't. We'll get that on next week. That's all. Uh, I've been going through it slowly but surely, and uh, it's not bad. It's got, a, you know, some classic tones of the early Venom record, you know, because of Mantis and Avedon. And it definitely has that prime evil feel because of Tony singing again and doing the vocals. Uh, so uh, I'll try to upload a couple of songs next week. That's the problem with this show is that everything has to be uploaded before the show. Uh, if I try to do it before then or afterwards, there's always a problem. So I do apologize. I thought I had it on here. Let me just give it one more quick look and see. Nah, nothing. Okay, we'll do it next week. Brand new Venom Me coming up next week. Right now, how about some Max Victim? Turn it up loud.
White Wizard, Into the Night. I think the band's back together. I don't know if they ever broke up. They had so many problems a few years ago with the singers and other members of the band. And uh haven't heard much about them in a while. But I know they were just on some festival, so maybe they are back together. I don't know if it's the, any of the original members or one of them. Who the hell knows? But if you're a fan, they're playing again. All right. We spoke to Roland Grappow from master plan in the old days of Halloween. Well, the semi-old days. He was an original member, but he came in later. Let's get that interview on right now, and we'll close out with a song by the band right afterwards. Here you go. Mm. Ro- Roland, this is Mike. Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you. I uh, just came home. <laughs> okay, it's great to talk with you today. Oh, man. Wait a second. I guess I have to have a speaker on. Wait a second. How's this working? Oh, I don't even know. Ah, I don't know. But you hear me good? I can hear you fine. Yeah, so I, I hear you with the speaker. I don't know why. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry about that. Might be the connection. But it, it sounds good. Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, great. Hey, well, listen, big fan going back to the Rampage days and... I'm glad you're still going at it after all these decades. I, I can't even say years anymore. It's been a very long time. A lifetime, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to the 60. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, we're all getting there. <laughs> that's okay, but you're still putting out great music, and that's all that matters. Yeah, sometimes, you know, you're getting, like, these waves, ups and downs, and uh, everything changed, the whole music industry, and... Uh, Sometimes I was also a bit frustrated, to be honest. But now I have good feelings. I know I have some plans for the next studio album, so it's quite, quite, uh, how to say, inspiring to have some plans, you know, not thinking about, oh, what should I do? It doesn't make sense anymore, you know, these things. But I'm over it. I'm, I'm feel happy. I think I'm inspired after this Halloween, uh, uh, how you call it, Pumpkins album. Yeah. It was something important for me to, to releasing it somehow. Well, I mean, you got to revisit songs that you wrote maybe 20 years ago, you know, with Halloween, and you kind of put your own mm-hmm. spin on it again, you know, giving it the master plan touch. Was it important to redo these songs and, you know, show where they are today? I think it was not 100% important, but for me, somehow, I felt like if Halloween would still play my songs live, I would have the feeling, okay, it's not known reason to do it, you know, but... There's some political thing going on between us, which I don't know what it is. I know there's something. They don't tell me. I don't. I don't even want to call or ask them. But it's a, you know, I have a, I have an okay relationship again with them. I I met them a couple of times, but we're not talking about business. Just hello, how are you? And you know, everything is private, fine, and blah blah blah. You know, small talk. And uh, but. There must be a reason. Since I left, there was not one song played live from my my songs, and I have a couple of, uh, let's say, uh, album titles like, you know, or even videos like Mr. Ego or Time of the O's or the album title Dark Ride, Time of the O's as well. The chance was really strong song, which was always in the set in the past, and uh, that's not only my stuff. It's also from from Uli Kush, you know. It's like weird. So I just can't explain it. And I thought it's, it's a bit wasted to leave them just, uh, you know, with my material and nobody's using it. Yeah. That, that must be a hard thing because, you know, you've been in a lot of bands and a lot of projects that you've stood with or, or moved on from. And when you write those great songs for them and then they kind of like get lost, you don't hear them anymore. That must be a little disappointing as an artist. It is. It is like, um, 
to be honest, I felt like uh, some some weeks ago, I felt like I wasted my time with these guys. You know, it's like uh, nothing was important for them, what I did. It seems like it, you know. It's like uh, I, I replaced Kai and I, you know, I tried to make a surviving with this band. Um, many of the stuff, they, the decisions they did in the beginning when I joined the band. I mean, imagine I was such an, I'm the oldest member of Halloween I was. And I was a shy, the shy guy. I didn't know anything about the business. I came to the kind of professional band with management, with record label, and 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 really big success. And then um, joining them, and I thought, yeah, let's go. I tried the best to fill the shoes of Kai um, without any pressure of myself because I didn't know him. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not so this kind of how you say typical feeling like to replace someone you were, you were a big fan of it. So I was not even a fan of this guy or the band. And then they fucked up everything, like record deal with, with Walter Bach, EMI wanted to make a big deal with their audit, and then we were releasing this Pink Bubbles with kind of okay songs, you know, I tried my best, but the other guys, I mean, I just met uh, Chris Sangaridis a couple of times, who we were working in a moment together with a Jack band. And uh, so we are speaking a lot about the old times, and he said he was so frustrated, he came also as a producer, and... Uh, you know, he he wanted to continue with the keeper of the key, Seven Keys Part Three, something like that. You know, yeah. and then they're coming with like windmill, you, your your turn, and all these ballads and and heavy metal hamsters and whatever happening at that time, and many many discussions, many many fights. So everything was just a nightmare, to be honest, in the beginning. And then I thought, why I wasted so much time, so much energy? You know, I mean, I had great experience, but in terms of my songs, I felt a bit disappointed. You know. Yeah. Well, now you got to kind of revisit them. I mean, were you, was it a, from the very beginning, did you plan on releasing this as a master plan record and put a master plan's kind of sound and touch on it? Or did you think about maybe doing this as a solo project or something different? Uh, good question, because uh, I felt like something should happen because I, I joined 88 around Christmas, um, Halloween. So my, my let's call it the professional business. I am, you know, I, I, I'm not counting Rampage so much because it was much, much more before and I was always a car mechanic before. But since I'm a professional musician, it was like around 25 years ago, you know, uh, now it's more, but 25, how, how much we have now? Um, I don't know, I think it's 28 already. Yeah. So uh, it was around three, four years ago, I thought it would be cool to do something like this, Rolling Grapple Best Of. And um, the best stuff of even Rampage, maybe my solo album, some, some songs, my Halloween songs. And uh, of course, then I asked the record label, nobody was interested, <laughs> like always. And uh, then I saw Kai Hansen made it. <laughs> you know, it was like he made this kind of Hansen and Friends tribute, something like that. You know? yeah. So it's the same idea he had about, uh, I think he was 30 years in the business. So, so that was his first idea. And then I, then I forgot a little bit about it. And then I thought, okay, now I heard the rumors about the reunions like three, four years ago already. And I, I, I you know, presented this idea to AFM Records and said, let's do it with Masterplan. Only, only the Halloween songs, not my solo stuff. Yeah. And so that was the deal. So the, the deal we made three, three and a half years ago as a part of a three album deal. So first was the DVD, Masterplan DVD, and then the Halloween album and another studio album. So that's the kind of deal we had. Yeah. You, you know, a lot of these Halloween songs that you recorded, like Pink Bubbles Go Away Down to the Dark Ride, 
uh, here in America, those albums kind of got gotten a loss because metal wasn't popular at that time here in the States. You know, it was a whole different time for heavy metal here. So for a lot of people hearing these songs now, again, it's kind of like the first time for them. Really? <laughs> if you want to yeah, this is grunge music and all this stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, if you weren't a fan of Halloween back then, it was hard to get these albums because people just weren't listening to it. I mean, I was always a fan, so I, I know the music, but for a lot of younger people, this is the first chance to get and hear these songs in a new take. Yeah, and I think uh, I think these people which are listening the first time to the master plan version and don't know the older versions of Halloween, they really like it. They think it's pretty cool, and some some guys say. You, well, one of these songs sounds like uh, Ozzy Osbourne hit, you know, because I was also inspired at, at every time. I'm, I'm really honest about it. I mean, the beat of Mr. Ego, I guess, it's it's like a Ozzy song. I don't know which song it was, you know. Um, time of the O's, I was really inspired by Dreams here, to be honest. I was uh, listening to the first two albums, this Images and Words, or whatever the name is, and uh, this really successful albums they had and I was inspired to have some progressive elements here and there you know then the oriental beat uh, uh, melodies and then and so every, every song I'm, I was inspired by something I guess you know and um, the dark ride of course was something special because it's, uh, the only inspiration I had was make a 12 minute song like uh, Keep Over 17 that's the only inspiration <laughs> Yeah. But it's nice to see the reaction of these people when they don't know it and they say, Well, it sounds great, why everybody's complaining? <laughs> you know. There are a lot of lot of complainers and I think these are basically the diehard Halloween fans. Which I think I destroy a little bit of their how you, how you call it, remembering or of their use because I know how they feel. I had the same feelings when I heard um the revisited album of Uli Ross from the Scorpion days. And I'm, I'm a big old Scorpions fan, and I love Uli Ross, and I love Michael Schenker, and whatever. And I went to the concerts when I was 16, and when I heard it in the car two years ago, I said, oh, God, this is this is okay, it's good, but uh, come on, you know, it's the same feeling, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, but I understand it. But I, to be honest, we didn't do this album for the Halloween fans, you know, it's, it's basically for the Master Plans fans, which are not exactly the same people. Some, of course, like both, but I'm surprised sometimes that uh, not many, many Halloween fans still writing me and say, I, I miss you fucking a lot in Halloween, and I love your fucking Stratocasters much more, and, 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 and they never mention Masterplan. <laughs> so it's like, I'm sometimes fucking, these guys don't even listen. They're not even checking me out what I'm doing the last 15 years, you know? Yeah. So it's like they just remember the Halloween days that, you know, it, I, I, I told you, I play with, um, with a check band. I'm talking too much from the moment, right? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing with a check band, and uh, last weekend uh, we had a signing session, Mike Turana, me, and this check guys. And uh, so many people came to me, oh, Roland, Halloween, Halloween. It's just like, come on, I'm playing Masterclass. What's going on? You know? <laughs> it's, it's still, it's unbelievable how many, uh, yeah, some, some doors are still get open just from these Halloween days. Yeah. Especially also as a producer, many young bands I'm producing here, they, they, they grew up with Halloween, that's why. Yeah, well, I mean, Master Plan, I mean, has been around longer than technically Halloween has with your time in the band. And, and I mean, it, it's, I mean, when you think about it, did it, I know the band kind of started out as a project originally before you said, let's make this like a full-time band. Uh, and you've gone yeah. through multiple lineup changes. Do you think that hurts or helps the band? Is Master Plan the kind of band where bringing in different members kind of helps it because it keeps it going in a different direction or a different sound? 
or do you need that stability of a of a set lineup? I think I think the best would be, of course, if we would have the same line, same lineup like with Jorn and Uli Kush. But you know, the problem is, I didn't want to give up. You know, so I don't want. To, of, of course, I was not the, the only guy in this band. You know, I was a, a part of the team. Let's call it dream team, Uli Kush and me. You know, we just realized when we wrote something together, some bloody magic came out. You know, and. Um, it started, um, let's say, the friendship we, we got was basically coming in the dark ride period. You know? We had all this trouble in the band and going on. And we decided just to make maybe a solo album together because the band didn't like that I did the solo albums, you know, this, you know, taking too much energy for this kind of side project. And then I said, okay, when Uli, Uli is uh, part of it, then they can't say anything. <laughs> so I thought I was clever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, so basically, we took a lot of songs for the first album, which Halloween didn't want it to have for the Dark Ride. So if people imagine, I mean, this wasn't exactly the same kind of, uh, let's say, arrangement. But songs like, I'm not sure which one, but Spirit Never Die was already um, soul burned for sure. Um, the ballad, Step Into the Light, was, was already recorded with Halloween, but without vocals. So you see three, four songs were basically already finished for, for the Halloween time. And we used it, and we thought, why they don't want these great songs, you know? It's like a bit ego shit is going on, let's take the shit one from each guy, you know, instead of the good ones. And that's why we said, okay, let's do it together, it could be fun. And then, yeah, then the message came, and we were out, and then we had to think about a st stable uh, lineup or some, some band members, you know? Because at that time, I felt we had Russell Allen in mind already, and we talked to him already, and... Um, but then he said, no, I can't leave my band, so you should find a different singer. And I said, oh, okay, that's not so easy, but we tried. So the next guy was we asked was Michael Kiske, and then he said the same. He's not into heavy metal. Uh -huh. You remember these old stories? He doesn't like heavy metal and this shit. Yeah. And, uh, but he would agree to sing part of the song, so that's why he was singing uh, Heroes, only the chorus and the bridge. And... Uh, I paid him a lot of money as a good old friend. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then then we searched further and uh, we found Johan, which was also just very hard to find him and to get contact with him. And we just heard about him, like, let's say, four months before. We heard him the first time on tour, Uli and me, on the tour bus. Somebody gave us the ARC CD as a, as a promo version. And that's, that's how it came, you know. I just contacted his wife and then, then she told him to me yeah. back so it was hard, hard to find him yeah and Jorn did two stints with the band I mean he was there for a couple of years in the beginning and then uh, a few years back uh, he was with the group again yeah so basically Jorn Jorn is such a I mean I love him you know don't don't get me wrong he, he's in one way he's a really good friend he's a really nice guy to hang out um, to work with him is a bit difficult because when it's getting to the edges of, of taste of styles because he I think that was also part of the success we had, this magic combination of Uli, myself, we all love this old classic stuff, you know, like Rainbow Deep Purple, 70s music. Uli has this more metal influences from, you know, from the 80s, something more, and I was more into Total, Sticks Foreigner Journey. And Jorn was exactly the same like my taste, you know. But I grew up with the of success of Halloween, so I know I can't, I shouldn't ignore it, you know. It's my style now. I, I played so long 
in Halloween, the staccato stuff, the melodies, I learned, uh, you know, uh, the backing tracks with the guitars. I learned from Vikey a lot of stuff, you know, and, and I like it. It's a really big part of the master plan sound. But this discussion with John was always complicated and difficult. But I think this was the success we had, you know. In the first, in the first time uh, when, when I sent him 15 or 16 songs for pre-production, I was singing already melodies on it, some... I would think two or three songs we had even Russell Allen singing some basic melodies there. So I sent it to Jorn and he made his melodies, some he's, he changed drastically. And uh, then he decided this is a great track, this is just a bonus track. So all the metal stuff we had, which is now on the first album, he didn't like. Oh. <laughs> all the bonus tracks we have for Japan or Europe, this was his favorite song. <laughs> so I said, oh my god, this guy is totally different. <laughs> And you can imagine all these discussions, yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, so I don't even remember the question. What was the question? I forgot too, but yeah, yeah, it was a good story. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, you, you go back to like the early days of music, the seventies, the early eighties, when you know heavy metal started getting popular and getting big. You know, one one man was in one band, and that's all he had, and they did everything they could to make that band a success. Today. You no, know, you have to be multiple bands, multiple projects if you want to be active and, and keep playing. Does that hurt the bands in a way? Because when one band has a little bit more success than another, the members want to leave to go somewhere else, or is it just that musicians don't have the time to dedicate anymore to a band like they used to? I think in the past was like uh, basically easier to start something fresh or new because you had always these big advances, or if you if you was getting a name in the, in the business. I mean, I remember even my solo arms, I had such a big fucking budget, you know. I can't even imagine it, it, it was happening. So uh, if I would be more clever at that time, I would save us this money, a lot of money of that, you know. But I see the difference now. And I think um, in the old times, there uh, was a lot of ego stuff going on, you know. Everybody wanted to make himself in the band, like how they make his dream come true, I don't know, as a songwriter, as a performer. I was also a little bit... In the same situation, Halloween, you know, was a bit jealous about Darius and, and Whitey always in front of the press people because in the beginning I was like more a part of it with Mikey Kiske and, and Michael Wykes together, like a three-guys three, three guys team. But later the management decided, no, let's do like uh, Aerosmith, only the singer and one guitar player. So I said, okay, cool. But you see, all these things is leading mostly in the past, especially when you were younger, and you want to achieve something and you don't know, even know what, what it is sometimes, you know, it's just a fucking brain is damaged or I don't know what it is. It's the same thing going, you know, that's why the people leaving the band and, and of course the fans mostly are right. They say we, we want this original lineup, we want this guys together. It's a dream, like the purple. How many times they went back and forth and changing members, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's a common thing. And I think now it's totally different. Now, now to be honest, uh, if, I, if I go on the road with Masterplan, it's, it's now I'm searching only for festivals because if we're headlining, the risk is too high to play in front of 50 people. Or, and sometimes even shows are canceled because the promoter says it's not about a lot of pre-sales, you know. And then, then I'm thinking, okay, I have my studio, my second kind of career, I can say. And every day I get this amount of money at home when I stay at home, you know. So this is sometimes tricky. And the same is um, 
when you have band members, what we have now, uh, people have jobs now. They don't. They're not full-time uh, musicians anymore. You know, everybody is trying to survive, and that's the difference. And when you have a good relationship, with what we have now in this uh, lineup, it works. You know, but it's still not easy because if we book a show somewhere in Spain and, and uh, let's say our singer is uh, losing money because of his job, he needs holiday, he needs uh, canceling some stuff. You know. And that's how it is nowadays, you know, the same with my studio. So sometimes for me, it's saying, saying to myself, it's, it's, you know, worse to stay home. I make more money. <laughs> you know, that's kind of tricky situation. Yeah. Yeah. I never said this in any interview, but that's how it is now. I know. It's, it's, it's a much harder business today to deal with, you know, especially on the financial end. But I'm glad you guys are still out there and still playing and still doing it. Are there any plans in the near future for another master plan record of original material? It's been about four years since uh, Nova McKinney came out. Yeah, I just uh, just made a recent interview and uh, um, I had a, had a meeting on a, on a telephone telephone meeting, how you call it, brainstorming meeting uh, with AFM Records, and they said, "Come on, guys, you always take so long." And now we're releasing this Pump Kings album, which is not really a new album, so. I think uh, we have written already some ideas, and uh, I have tons of vocal ideas because I'm singing more now since the last two, three years. And I'm always recording stuff in the car when I drive this long distance stuff. And uh, I think we, we're starting end of September already, um, let's say, recording and finishing writing. So we have four or five songs already. And uh, we hope for release of April next year already. So. We have to push ourselves this time. Uh, that's got to be great. Well, I'm not going to keep you. I appreciate you talking to me today. And you know what? The Pumpkin is going to tie me over until that new record comes out. It's a great take on some classic songs. And I'm glad you put this record out. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. It was a cool, funny interview. <laughs> Thank you. You take care, Ron. It was good talking to you. Good, man. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Master Plan, The Time of Oath. I mean, these are all old Halloween songs from back in the, you know, in the time he was with the band. You know, I'm not really the biggest fan of people remaking old songs, but I have to tell you, I really do like the way uh, this album came out and the way the songs sound on there. All right, we're going to wrap it up here tonight. We'll close up with one more song off the latest Master Plan record, Pumpkin. Uh, and don't forget to tune in next Sunday night. Our good friend Joe Cangelosi from Whiplash and Creator. He's got a new band called Uncivil War with Scott Owen from Hyrax. Uh, we'll talk to Joe next week and catch up and play some new music by the band. Also, Mikey Cunningham, a great guitar player, an instrumental guitar player from the SMS, will be on the show. We were supposed to have Raps for Your Fire on next week, but they couldn't make it, so we pre-recorded it the other day. And we had nothing but interference and problems with the recording, so I kind of threw it together quick and uh, put it up on the, on the Facebook page. Uh, so those are our two guests next week. And we got one more show left for the month of August. And we celebrate our ninth year anniversary in September. A lot of great guests being lined up right now, so don't forget to stick around for that. But tonight, I want to thank Blaze Bailey for being a part of the show, Al Belanga from Cyrus, and Roland Grappow from Master Plan. Let's wrap it up with a new tune, an old new tune, I guess, is Mankind. Take care, everybody. Have a great week.
need to ready, set, go back to school. Ready? Okay. We've got paper. Yes, we do. Light gold notebooks, pencils, glue. we got crayons every you. School supplies for your whole crew. Target's got everything you need to ready, set, go back to school.